Good morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today as we continue in our forward series. And just in case you're new with us or just jumping on the ship or, or have forgotten since it was last week was a whole week ago and you don't remember what you had for breakfast yesterday or even maybe this morning, um, just by way of recap here, um, we want to, uh, we've been in this series and this, this time in our church life where we've hit some roadblocks and we're just asking God, where do you want us to go next? And so we're entered into this forward campaign, which is asking the Lord to show us what he has for us moving forward. We're talking spiritually and financially, and we just come out of a week of prayer and fasting, getting ready to hear what God has for us. And, and we've, been, we've been praying and seeking him. And now I, we, we're going to turn back to Matthew chapter 6, where we were last week, to talk about something awkward. And uncomfortable. I'm like, great. I love feeling awkward and uncomfortable. In Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to know this, if you want to ever turn a conversation awkward, meet someone for the first time and say, how much do you make? How much do you get paid hourly? How are your taxes? How are you doing? Do you know how uncomfortable that would be? But if you're in a situation where you're in trouble financially, the uncomfortable conversation can, can happen, like a debt consult with a debt consolidator. Like if you're really struggling, then that uncomfortable conversation can lead to good things. And here's the here's the the, the heart of the matter. John Calvin once famously said that our hearts are idol factories, that we just produce things to worship other than God. And one of the things that can be that we can worship other than God is money. And it can have a grip upon our soul. And so as we look today, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation kind of with a debt consolidator who is Jesus, okay, the one who pays the debts. And we're going to hope that what he does here is to give us a different view of giving and money than what we had when we came in. So if you would, let's read Matthew chapter 6 together, beginning in verse 1. Now I'm going to read a bunch, okay, so here's your job. My job is to read in such a way that I don't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 okay? But your job is to follow along, okay, and, and help me here. Because if we help, I want to show you this, that in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the longest stretches of Jesus' teachings that we have in consecutive sessions in a book of the Bible, in Matthew chapter six, 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus is unpacking what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God, what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And, and so before, before I go any further, I want you to know something. And this is very clear. If you are a guest with us today, we are so glad that you're here, but we're not asking you for anything. We don't want anything from you. Except maybe some information so we can call you later and just say, hey, we don't want any money from you. This message is for believers. This is, this is God. If you are a believer, giving, praying, fasting are something that, that Jesus says when you do that, not if you do them. It's something that's expected. It's not to earn God's favor, because you know how you can earn God's favor? There's no way you can earn God's favor. The only way that you can be right with God is through Jesus and his finished work on the cross. You can't pray enough to make God like you, to make you right with God. You can't fast enough to make God like you. You can't read the Bible enough, can't attend enough religious services. Here is the only thing that makes you right with Jesus, makes you right with God, is trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So let's just go ahead and lay that out there. This is for those who have been saved, and this is what our lives should be littered with when we're, when we're saved, is stuff that is worship unto God, which is giving and praying and fasting. And so life in the kingdom is what Jesus talks about here. And it's a life of sincerity, and it's a life full of, of, of worship towards God's intangible ways. 
So let's look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that you might be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the warning stands, and it goes for all the things that are about to be mentioned. Don't practice your righteousness or your good religious deeds. Don't practice this to be seen by men, but do it unto God. And so it goes in verse 2, it says, thus, when you give, okay, this is not an if, notice, it's when, it's something expected of people who have trusted Christ and are in the kingdom of God. Those people, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, again, not if, but when, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this is obviously some figures of speeches, okay? Because that would be weird. Like, your hand, <laughs> this hand would be doing this, and this hand would be doing that. It's a figure of speech. We're rocking. We're rolling. Let's go on. Verse 3, it says, But when you give the need, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So giving is talked about. Then he moves on to prayer. This is the two sections we were in last week was prayer and fasting. I want to read it again because I want to set the context. And so this is not, we're not talking about weird things to the kingdom of God or to the people of God. This is something that is part of them. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, And when, not if you pray, but when you pray, so it's expected of the people of God and the kingdom of God, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when, not if you pray, but when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows. And then He gives us the model prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be praised. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And don't lead, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16, and when you fast, which means abstaining from food or something else, for an extended period of time for spiritual purposes. And it's not something that is crazy for the people, to do, people of God to do. It is part of what they should do. And when, not if, and when you fast, do not look, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they dis disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So giving, do it with sincerity, not for people to see, but for, for, but for God your Father. For praying, do it not for people to hear, how, come and see how holy I am. Oh, blessed Father, thou art Lord, oh, holy God. And you have to use all these big phrases. He doesn't care. In fact, he probably hates it when we try to put on airs. Don't pray like that. Don't fast for people to see you. I'll never forget, we had, we had challenged some kids, some teenagers a long time ago when I was in the youth ministry. We challenged some kids to go prayer and fasting, and this girl had never read this part of the Bible. And she's walking around, oh, I'm so hungry. 
Like, she, we had just gone to Burger King, which Burger King has, it's, it's kind of like food, okay? And they have it there. And, and we had just gone to Burger King. We're coming back to this camp. And she's like, I'm so hungry. Oh. And the youth minister and I, we looked at each other. And we're like, do you want to go break the news to her that she is in disobedience to God? Or do you want me to? I mean, that's what it was. Like, when we read this passage, she's like, oh, my gosh. Because what she was doing, she wanted people to know. Oh, look how, come look how spiritual I am. Everybody come see it. And that is missing the boat. And Jesus says there's higher things to live for in verse 19 of this same passage, you still with me? I know we're reading a lot. You with me? Okay. One person, maybe. I heard nods, I guess. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now I wanted to put it in context because oftentimes when someone talks about giving in the church, it's outside of a context of the whole counsel of God. And I want you to know something. We want to put this in context. That this is not something, giving is not something that is superimposed on the Bible. It is in the Bible, and it's part of our, a way that we can show that we are not mastered by anything but Jesus. And so if we look back in, in Matthew chapter 6, in the first part of this, I want you to notice a couple of things about giving. Again, I've mentioned this, kind of belabored this point, but giving is a normal part of the Christian life. It's a normal part of, the, of those who are in the kingdom of God. It says in verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. I say to you, they have received a reward. And this is just a funny it's a funny thought here uh, of these guys. And there's been so much ink spilled about whether or not a trumpet, these guys were actually literally blowing a trumpet, okay? And they're like, dun, 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 look at me give, okay? And I don't think we can know that 100%. The context is here, but I think Jesus, because the left hand, not knowing what your left hand and right hand are doing, if your left hand is doing something that your right hand doesn't know and you're just like, your hands are moving, you need to go to the doctor, so we can obviously say here that there is some, some hyperbolic language. There's this elevated language that is meant to, to get our attention. And so when he, says, when he says here, don't blow a trumpet, it's drawing attention to yourself no matter how it would be done. And so he is, has in mind the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the, that day, who were very much wanted to be known for being spiritual. And so the idea is don't blow a trumpet when you're giving to the needy. Okay, There's an there's a idea that you will give to the needy, but the, the, the point is don't make it known. An air horn, when it is <laughs> set off, in the middle of the night, would scare you to death. An air horn is meant to be heard, is it not? The, the, the horn on a train is meant. We, we, when we lived in Louisville, Amy and I lived in Louisville, our apartment, was, it was really nice in the summer. 
And when we, when we, that's when we looked at the place. And we went, and when we moved in, we heard this rumbling sound and a train whistle going off at like 1 o'clock in the morning. And we were like, what is happening? And when the leaves fell, the train track was about 20 feet from our apartment. We picked the worst one ever. It was like, I mean, but shake the whole place. It was like, we got used to it, but the first like three months we were there, we couldn't sleep because we wake up at one o'clock in the morning. Everything be shaking. The, oh, oh, and then it just got the whistle going. And what was it meant to grab people's attention? And so what we have here is do not be like those people that want to be seen for their giving. But when you give, it's, it's thought of, and people, gospel people, people who have been saved are giving people. And there's some assumptions in the Bible. First off, that we would give to the needy. That is assumed that that would be a part of the Christian life. Also, there's some other reasons and some other things we see in Scripture. I want to just hit those real quick. That This is just a normal part of the Christian life. People who are believers give to the needy. People who are believers give to the advancement of the good news of Jesus or the advancement of the gospel. If you look, and I'll have these on the screen so you can see them. Philippians chapter 4, 14 through 20, Paul's writing this church in Philippi, and he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And when you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. And so Paul, when he first started out his missionary journeys to take the gospel to the known world, the Philippian church was the first one to get involved with giving and supporting his missionary endeavors. In verse 16, it says, Then in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increased to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. Now note this. This is a gift given to Paul for the advancement of the gospel, and here's what he calls it. He says it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. A lot of times it's funny. We, we quote uh, Philippians 4, 19, and we don't put it in context. And the context is this. You have given to the work and advancement of the gospel. And God, reminder, because you're giving, God, will, God is going to supply your needs. That's the reminder. And then it says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's one of the things that is part of being a gospel Christian is that you give towards the advancement of the gospel. In 1 Timothy, we see this also. Part of our giving should be in support of the local church, especially the pastors and elders. In 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, it says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborers deserves his wages now i don't very much like to be compared to an ox here but if the if it fits you know do that but the basic idea is this that that the the people of god should give to the needy they should give to the advancement of the gospel and they should give to their local church to support that ministry and also this we should give to help other christians in need first corinthians 16 1 through 2 and i'm reading now there's a point I want to show you that this is part of the Christian life. This is not something superimposed on the, on, the, on the Christian faith. This is part of the context of the people of God and the book that God has given us. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, 
Paul talks about this. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so what Paul is doing is he's instructing these people on how to give an offering for these needy Christians, and he says do it weekly and put something aside. Now, in our forward campaign, we have been talking about what can, you, what can you put aside so that you can give to the cause of moving forward. Now, I want to be very clear about this. Giving is part of the Christian life, but giving is by no means under compulsion. It should be an act of joy and of generosity and of, and of God's work. And so here's the thing. When you give, it's a normal part of the Christian life, but how are you? You should, not, you should be doing it sincerely, not for show. And that's what this passage teaches. Go back to Matthew 6, two, Matthew 6 verse 2. And when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Dun, 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 air horn. Come see how great I am. I'm giving to the needy. Don't do that. That's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues. That's what the play actors do. That's what those people who pretend to be religious but their hearts are far from God do. Don't draw attention to yourself. It's not because at that point you're getting your reward. Because as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward is this, that they are seen to be spiritual by other people. Verse 3 comes in, but when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And again, I pointed this out. If your left hand didn't know what your right hand was doing, you need to, you need to go see the doctor. You have a problem, okay? What, what's really happening here is using heightened language. He's using exaggerated language to show us this. When you do this, do this in a spirit of not wanting to be seen by men, but be wanting to be seen and wanting this to be an offering towards God. Now, one commentator I read even pointed this out. You can, you ever heard of a humble brag before? Ever seen that, a humble brag? Because there are some people that try to remain anonymous so that when people find out of their secret giving, they'd be like, oh my gosh. Do you know how spiritual that person is? They gave, and they did it in secret, and they gave a lot. Oh my goodness. Some people have that in their heart. And what does that do? If someone finds out, like, if somebody finds out how much you give, is it ruined? Just like we talked about fasting. So I found out I was fasting. It's all over. No. But what's your heart? Is it a sincere gift towards God, towards those who are poor? Is it a sincere gift towards God in the advancement of the gospel or to help Christians or to help your local church? Is it sincere? The point is this. Is your giving for, is it, it's part of your, it should be part of your Christian life, but is it sincere or is it for show? And the Lord wants us to be sincerely worshiping him in our giving and our praying and our fasting, seeking him in all things. And that's why I believe Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 about giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. Not under compulsion. Because when you're doing it under compulsion, that's not worship. Each person should give as he decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that is how it is to be. I will never forget when Amy and I moved to seminary. We left two jobs in Panama City, Florida, and we moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I know, it sounds like the worst move ever. It's, n it's, it's not a lateral move. It's a move backwards, okay? They have sunshine. 
in Florida, they have no sunshine in Kentucky. Okay, I mean, this never does, all right, especially in Louisville. It's touching Indiana, all right? So, I mean, that's what it is. And when we moved there, we had no jobs. We just had what we had saved up, and it took us about two or three months to get jobs. If that is not scary, I don't know what is. We had this apartment, and we had to, like, live and buy electricity and other things like that. I mean, we had to do that. And I'll never forget that part of our part of our seminary thing that we signed was that we would we would tithe regularly or give a 10% at least to our local church. And we signed that and it was really hard to do that at first. You know why? Cuz we was broke. Okay? And I remember the first time writing these, like, it was like, I think somebody's going to look over my shoulder, so I'm going to write these. Okay, they might check in and find my church and my seminary. I might get kicked out or whatever. And then I realized how sinful that was. And it was harder and harder to write it as the we saw the bank account balance. And we're like, oh, man. But I, I, God turned that compulsion and that into praise and um, that was one of the things he had to work in our lives through those difficult situations. And we, that, that is our aim and goal in mentioning these things, is that we might be faithful to Jesus. Because listen, the God that we serve here at this church and we make known, he ain't short of cash. Okay? It's our opportunity to be, to be sincerely following we move on now. Remember, when you give to the needy, we talked about all these different ways that are seen in the New Testament of giving. When you give, when you pray, in, in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. Then it goes, when you fast, which we talked about those last week, and we entered into a season of prayer and fasting. But then, verse 19 kind of encaps this section, and Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so here is a big, the big point that he's incapping here when he's talking about giving. Jesus says and shows us that giving helps us determine where our heart is. And so we're, we're instructed to lay up, to store up, to bankroll treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, okay? Why? Well, first off, it says treasures on the earth will fade. Treasures in heaven will not. Moth, rust, theft, all the treasures that we have on earth are subject to decay, to entropy, to theft, to rust, but everything that's stored up in heaven is not. It's kept by God, and it's eternal. And so we are called not to focus on and not to lay up treasures on the earth, but to store them in heaven. Now, one of the ways that we can to think about this is how many of you, I'm not even going to take it back too far, how many of you have ever seen or remember the 90s? Anybody remember the 90s? People were wearing in the early 90s fluorescent shorts, like men were doing this, very too, too short of fluorescent shorts, okay? 
and tank tops. And I had this one in the 90s. I had this one tank top, which was from Korea. It was a knockoff of the Ninja Turtles, and it was the Ninja Geckos. Okay? And I got this picture of me wearing these short, <laughs> it's awful. We're in Hawaii at the time, so that wasn't too bad. Uh, but I had these short, short uh, neon, uh, highlighter neon shorts on. I had some white Converse shoes with white socks, this Ninja Gecko, the knockoff Gecko tank top, and I'm wearing this hat that looked like, you know, a cyclist would wear. You know what I'm talking about? It's like real tight, and then it has that one bill that just kind of flops up, and it was multicolored. I thought I was looking fly. It was hammer time, okay? But you know what? You look at that picture now, and you're like, what was I thinking? Everything is so transitory in this life. If we still had those those awesome awesome duds, it would not work. Okay, it would be bad. All right, it what it has suffered decay. It has suffered. And you think about this: the things that you loved so much when you were a kid, you've lost them. I recently found a whole bunch of my old GI Joes from when I was a kid and. Man, my son, we brought him to him, and I think I was more excited than him because here's the cool thing about having a kid. You can play with toys, and people don't think you're as weird, okay? And so we had these G.I. Joes, and we're playing them, and they're brittle, and they're breaking. These were my treasures. I remember taking them everywhere I went, I'd take them to church, I'd take them to the restaurant, I'd take them everywhere I went. I had these little action figures, and now the little rubber band that holds the guy together is snapping on all of them. I'm doing operations, trying to put them back. Some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? You hear that. I saw some head shaking. I'm like, oh, man, he's getting into it. And so what I'm saying, that thing which was a treasure is now it, it's decaying. And Jesus' point is this, that there are treasures to be stored up in heaven, which is our, our worshipful acts of obedience here on earth that are stored in heaven. That is what we should be about, not treasures here on this earth, because treasures here, stuff here will decay, go out of style, is subject to theft and destruction, but things of the earth, Things of heaven, when we, when we make our life about depositing in heaven by doing worshipful deeds in the name of Jesus, going towards this, bank, oh, this, this heavenly bank account, those things will not fall apart. And you can do this. And so here's what I mean when I say giving helps us determine where our heart is. You can determine what you love by looking at your bank statement. I have a friend named Jimmy Carter. He's not the president, okay? That was always the joke. But the guy is one of those guys, you, I love him, but he doesn't like to eat. I mean, he eats to, like, live, because if you don't eat, you will die, okay? I mean, <laughs> good job. Okay, you go with that. <laughs> but he, like, if you, when I go on vacation with my family or whatever, we're, like, we're eating breakfast, like, hey, where do you want to go for lunch? You ever done this? You're at lunch, you're like, hey, where do you want to go for dinner, Okay. Um, that, that's that's kind of, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, all right, when, we, when can we get tacos? Okay, when can we do this? All right, when can that happen? Jimmy is one of those guys, he could care less when he's going to eat. So you know what you're not going to see on Jimmy's bank statement? And I've talked with him and his wife about this. You're not going to see a lot of restaurant swipes from his card. You know why? He doesn't care. He's not a foodie. He eats to live, not live to eat. He's not into it. Like, I went to Louisville a while back in the summer when it, the sun does shine in the summer there, and I got this rib that was a beef rib that was the size of my head. You know what I had to do? Like, every good American, I had to put it on Instagram, okay? 
look at how big this is. It's a Fred Flintstone rib, okay? That that type of stuff, to me, that was cool and big. And I'm telling people where you can go eat when you go to Louisville. But to him, he doesn't care. And his bank statement reflects that. He, it reflects that he doesn't care about that so much. And I want you to know, I want you to think about this. If we were to look at our bank statement, what would it say that we cared about? Where would it say our heart would be? And Jesus is trying to show us that and it says that at the end of this first little section here, verse 19, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So giving and our bank account and what we do with our money helps us determine where our heart is. And I mention this because here we are at the constant danger of being materialistic always. Because that is what's right in front of us and expedient. And the things that are eternal are more real, more true, but they are not seen right now. Not as easily. And we have this, we have this tension in us to seek our treasure here, to seek, to, to feather our nest, to build more, to keep up with the Joneses, to say that my life is better if I have this, that, these things. And, and what Jesus is saying is put your treasure, not here on earth, but in heaven. And that will show where your heart is. And I think all of us, every one of us has to ask this question. Where is our heart? Are we about investing in the kingdom of God or are we about ourselves? It's a good question for all of us to ask. Then it goes on, and there's a weird section, and it's, I say it's weird because every book you read, every commentator you read on this says, this is weird, and we don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to take a shot in the dark, okay? And, uh, well, not in the dark, hopefully in the light. So here we go. And here's the next section that follows this. So where's your, it, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven, but store up yourself treasures, or no, I said that backwards. Don't store up for your, yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, because there, where your heart will be, there your treasure will be also. Then he goes on in verse 22, says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Yeah, right? That's confusing. Now here's what I want you to think about. First off, let's break it down in its parts. The first section says this. The first part of the verse, verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. By that we mean the eye is the, the, that which light comes in and shines into the body. What are we talking about? If you, when you go to sleep at night and you shut your eyes, is it dark or light? If it's light, again, go see a physician, okay? It's dark. When you open your eyes, what happens? The light filters in, and, and that's what we have. Jesus is using high, heightened language to talk about our senses, okay? Using figurative language to talk about our senses. And so we see this. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So basically saying, if your eyes are working properly, you're, you, you will be able to take in light, and your brain will be able to process it, and you will be able to see. That makes sense, right? If your eyes are working, if your eyes are light, full of light, they're like the lamp. If they're, work, if they're healthy, then you'll be able to take light in. Okay? That makes sense? You following me? The second part is, is kind of like it. If your eye is bad. And think bad here as unhealthy, if you would. So if your eye is bad... Your whole body is full of darkness. If you can't, if your eyes are unhealthy, you can't see, take in the light as you should, and be able to process that, okay? 
So if you have healthy eyes, you'll be able to see the light. If you have unhealthy eyes, you won't be able to see the light. The problem comes in this last part. If it's, it's this, and this is how I think he, he unpacks it for us. If you think you have healthy eyesight, but you actually don't, you're deceiving yourself to thinking that you're seeing, thing as, seeing things as you ought to, but you're really not. This is for some of you guys. Think Mr. Magoo. You remember him? If you don't know who Mr. Magoo is, he was this cartoon character who thought he could see fine but was blind. And you know what he would do? He would cause chaos and would almost get himself killed. You know, an anvil would fall on him. But anyway, whoever was around him would reap the benefits and the, or, or the, the terror of being around him. And all of it came down to he could not see, but he never realized or recognized the problem. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here. He's saying this, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you think that you see light clearly, but you're actually in the dark, how great is your deception and darkness? And that leads us to our next section, which says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And there are many of us, and it's always a constant battle in our heart. We might be deceived into think we're serving God, but really what we're doing is we have a mixed allegiance. And that's where the I situation comes in. We might think we see clearly, but actually what we're seeing is darkness. See, money and the love of it, as Paul would say, is a very dangerous thing for us. And what he would say in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, this is Paul talking, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The desire to be rich and seeking out wealth can cause all sorts of evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now note, it's not the root of all evil, it's the root of all kinds. All sorts of evil come from people loving money. And you know this, you've seen this, you watch the news. Those developers who know that they have a problem in houses and let black mold go. And they sell them to people. People get sick and die and lose all their money. Happens all the time. People who profiteer off of people's suffering and anguish. If you've ever dealt with an insurance company, you know this. There is, there's those who do equitably and those who do not in those industries. And what are they trying to do? All sorts of wickedness comes from their desire to be rich. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. So this craving for money and for the love of it that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So there is a great danger. And so Jesus wants us to see clearly, not to think that we have eyesight and not have it, not possess it, but he wants us to know in Matthew chapter 6 this, no one can serve two masters. And he wants us to evaluate ourselves by this. You cannot serve two masters. And this is, some, this is a Hebrewism here. The love and the hate thing is not as, as, as 
not as separate as we would see them, but what it, it, the idea is you would love one and, and prefer that one over the other one. There's a TV show on, on uh, TLC, which used to be the Learning Channel. I don't know what it stands for now, but it's, it's called Sister Wives. And it's about this Mormon guy, this ultra-conservative Mormon guy that has multiple wives. You ever drive past, like, you know why traffic slows down when there's a car wreck? People rubbernecking, right? They wanted to see it. Not too long ago, Mitch and I were driving by a car and nobody was in it, but it was last summer. We're driving by this SUV on, on I-40. We're bringing back a van to pick up the kids to go to camp, and this SUV was on fire. And as we were driving past the SUV, nobody was in it again. As we were driving past the SUV in this long line of slowed down traffic, the windows exploded out of the thing because the fire got too hot. And, and when we got to Wendy's, me and him, we met at Wendy's to eat lunch. And we got there, and I said, did you see that? He said, yeah, I got a video of it. <laughs> I didn't mention this that I was going to talk to you about. You're good cool with it, right? He'll hit me later. And he had the video. So he got his phone. I was like, look at that, okay? What is, he wanted to look at this wreck, okay? He wanted to look at it. And, and that's what we see here when, when we think about when we think about money and the love of it, it's like looking at a wreck. It's, it's a car wreck. We love money more than this. It's when no one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either you will hate the one and love the other, and to be, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we, money, money will shipwreck us, and we rubberneck, and we, we look at that that damage, and we, our hearts are divided when it comes to money. We love it. We seek after it. There's nothing bad about it. In fact, God has given it so we can do good things with it. God has given it to us for us to enjoy, but the problem comes when it becomes what we love the most, and it becomes our master. And giving, what giving does, it helps release materialism and money from the control seat of our heart. It really does. Because when you give that, you're saying, I don't need this as much as I need God. You're saying that this is not the thing that's going to ultimately make me happy, healthy, and wise. This is not the thing that my existence is for. My existence is not to be richer or to have those experiences or to seek wealth and all those things. My existence and my master is Jesus. It rears its head, our love for money, in a lot of different ways. It rears its head in us trying to make more all the time, trying to have better all the time, trying to get the nicer car, trying to do this. It rears its head that way, but it also rears its head in this. If you want to see and check your soul and to see if you're in love with money, it's how tightly do you hold on to your possessions? A friend of mine, um, is, I watch it on Facebook. You know how you Facebook stock people or whatever social media you're on. You know you do it. Don't lie, okay? And so you got there. You got their feed, and you're reading it. And his situation, he's reaching out to the neighbors in his community. And they had a big neighborhood gathering at his house. And they all came in the house, and once the, everybody left, and it was a madhouse because in their neighborhood, it's a younger neighborhood around here, and there's a bunch of families with kids. Have you ever had kids over to your house? You ever had them get together? 
they get sweaty immediately, and they're doing like this, like, oh, it becomes like, it's like Tasmanian devils, and they run around in like a pack, okay? Like, have you seen it? You ha- if you haven't, come to my house, okay? We'll have some of the people from our church come over, bring the kids around, they'll run around, it'll be, it'll be nuts, okay? We love it. We got, we got this new room, and it used to be our garage, okay? And the door is actually our garage door, and it's amazing. I can shut that door, and it's so insulated, we can't hear them. It's awesome. We only hear when like, ah, my arm, okay? That's when we hear them. Well, see, here's what happened at my friend's house. And he posted this picture on Instagram. Some kids had gotten crayons. <laughs> and they had drawn everywhere in one of his kids' rooms. I mean, just everywhere. Just everywhere. I mean, you should have seen it. He had, you know, he's a ton of pictures of where they had drawn. Blue, red, green, all these colors. And then the state, that's not unusual. What is unusual is his reaction that struck me. He said, they set their kids down, and it wasn't the lecture of, hey, watch what your kids, watch what your friends are doing. We got to, we got to, we got to respect and honor the things that God given us. That's all true. But you know what he said that really touched me? He said they rejoiced that God had given them a house to do ministry in, that they had walls for them to be colored on. And right there, I saw somebody who was not in love with money as much as he was in love in Je- with Jesus. And giving of our time and our stuff and our possessions and our treasures and our finances, all of that helps release the grip of materialism on our soul. Jesus said you can't have two masters. It's a train wreck when you try to have two masters. It's a car wreck that I mentioned before. Like Mitch, it's like watching the sister wife show. It's like watching a car wreck because there's one guy and four women vying for his affections. And you know what? It's like watching a car wreck because it never works out. They're always jealous. You know why? Because we weren't created for that. We're going to love and prefer one over the other. Our God is a jealous God, not jealousy like we have, but he wants it all. He demands it all, his glory and and, and the weight of who he is. He deserves it all. Our sin was so heavy, and he came and sought us out while we were sinners. He deserves it all. He's jealous for us, and we can't have two masters. It's like watching a car wreck when we try to go after one or the other. And so what we need to do and what giving says is, God, you are my master. Stuff won't master me. Another way to see is not, that, you know, you think about the, the situation of my friend and his, his house. He says, God, thank you that you could use our place to minister to people. Not, oh, man, this is going to cost me so much. And, oh, man, this is not going to make my house as nice in the resale value. No, God, you gave me this for ministry. There's some other ways you can think about this. Here's the thing. What, what have you given away recently? Oftentimes what we give away is things that we don't want. Right? You ever been to a canned food drive? What is in there? Cans, yes. Thank you. But they're not the good cans. Ooh, look, 12-year-old pickled asparagus. Fantastic. 
oh, look at these. Like some weird bean I've never heard of from Guatemala. Fantastic. Oh, look at all these like turkey gravy mixes. Fantastic. Why does that happen? We try to, we, our, our possessions have a hold on us. And if we don't watch out, we can end up in some places, like Paul mentioned, where it can shipwreck us. So giving is one of those ways that we can help release the grip of materialism on our soul to show that Jesus is our master. Oh, and he's worthy of it. He's worthy for singular devotion. He is worthy of it. He is worthy of singular devotion. Because he came and died. He didn't see you while you were in your best state. He came while you were a sinner. He did not deserve the death on a cross. He was perfect God, but perfect God, man. And he willingly submitted that those who are poor and destitute in their sin might be heirs of the kingdom of God and know the riches of God. We cannot serve two masters. One master will leave us eventually when we leave this earth, all of our masters of money and wealth, you can't take it with you when you go. No man can take anything into the grave. And if you do, it won't do you any good. It is of nothing. But there is one master who is better and who can give us more. And if we can look at our souls and say, to anything we can to take the grip of, of sin off of our souls and, and give a white hot full devotion to Jesus. Shouldn't we do that? And that's what the Bible, the Bible not only calls us to give, that was the easiest part of this message to show you that the Bible, that people in the kingdom of God, they give. That is easy. That is right there. The second thing I wanted to make sure and very clear was that, that did you know that giving should be sincere and not show. That's harder. And what gets even more difficult is when we have to look at ourselves and say, what masters us? Are we storing up treasures in heaven, or are we storing up treasures here on the earth? Is money my master, or is Jesus my master? You can't serve both. I can't serve both. You can't serve both. And so let us Have God seek us and try us and let's look into our heart so that we might have singular devotion to Jesus in all areas of our life. And maybe, just maybe, the grip of those other things would be loosened by the fact that we know we should give. Jesus is better than cash. Your cash will leave you. He has loved you when you were broke. And he has given you all the riches and glory. Singular devotion to Jesus in all areas of our life. We're going to do this. This is how we're going to close today. I want us to just take a moment. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. You just take a moment. And, I, and, and just in silent prayer, and I'll close this in a minute. I ask you to, to say to God, search me and try me. Know my inner thoughts. Know my will. Search me, God, and help me see where my treasure is and help me see who my master is.
if there is sin or if there is compromise, turn from that. Tell God, I turn from that, and I turn to you. Help me to be singularly devoted. Father, as we look into your word and we see our faults and we see our sins, we rely on the finished work of Jesus. You will make us right. God, you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You can forgive us faithfully and justly because of what Jesus has done. So we confess sin. We confess our divided hearts. We confess all these things. We know we can't serve two masters. God, help us. Help the grip of materialism and other things be lifted from our hearts, God, that we might be singularly devoted to you as master. You're a good master. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You have so much goodness for us. You're so good. God, help us to be singularly devoted. Help, help our treasure to be in heaven and not on the earth. Lord Jesus, if there's any here that don't know you, God, I pray they'd find you as a treasure today, that they would see their sin as ugly, and they see you as beautiful, and they would turn from their sin and trust you. God, we pray that in all things, you might be at the center, preeminent, at the forefront. Lord, guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to do this before we go. I want to dismiss this with these words from Jesus. You cannot serve God in money. Serve God. He's better. Go in His grace. You're dismissed.